Well, longevity is probably something that most of us strive for. We want longevity in our employment. We want longevity in our marriages. We want longevity in life. And uh, the thing that we have to be concerned with as we look at longevity is that we need to come to understand that longevity is not just something about uh, how long will I live, but more importantly, we need to discover during this journey of our life, during the longevity that we have, what God's purpose is for our life. And when we discover God's purpose, we begin to see life being fulfilled in a deeper way. Uh, anybody in the room uh, ever dreamed about what life could be? Anybody? Yeah? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, waking up from a deep rim sleep and having super dreams and, um, you know, those kind of things. But I'm talking about really dreaming about what, what God has planned for you. And, and what I mean by that is God has created all of us to have potential. And God has created all of us with a single solitary purpose. And that purpose is for the furthering of his kingdom's uh, values, the furthering of his kingdom story, that that is why we've been created. We haven't been created just to go to great restaurants here um, uh, in our local community. And we haven't just been created just to take up space, so to speak, in life. But we've been created with a distinct purpose to tie into God's plan for the world and reconciling the whole world in his kingdom's plan in bringing grace, peace, and salvation to all. We learn in the story this morning about Moses. Moses is tending sheep. Moses is no longer the prince of Egypt, but he's tending sheep. And it's really important as we begin to discover the story about Moses, as he sees this fiery thing happening on Mount Horeb, which is known as the mountain of God, that Moses really had no idea about what this mountain's purpose was. At this time in his life, this was a new discovery because again, as a sheep tender, he was focused on the things in the valley. And, and taking care of those. We also know that uh, the angel of the Lord appears to Moses and, and does so through this, this fiery process and, and, and through this bush that is not consumed. And Moses realizes he's in the presence of God. And at that moment, he also discovers that the ground in which he is standing is not, unlike any other ground he has ever experienced before, that this truly is holy ground. So the voice calls upon Moses, and God says, Moses, Moses, and Moses comes over to the bush, and he begins to discover something is there. And God says, stop what you're doing, because as you are getting closer to where I am, I need you to know that there must be a difference in your life, that you are standing in the holy place, in the holy ground before me, and I am preparing you and will prepare you for a great mission as I send you forward. And God discloses to Moses that he hears and sees and is quite aware of the misery of the Hebrew people as they are enslaved by Pharaoh through Egypt. And God says that I have this promise, this promise of this land that I have prepared for all of you, and it is a land in which you will inherit, a land that I promised to Abraham, the land that I promised to those, and Pharaoh will let my people go. And Moses is there in the midst of all of this. There's a lot to be said about our passion. There's a lot to be said about our hunger for life. There's a, there's a passion and there's a hunger that, that, that dwells in all of us, but we can't always communicate what that is. But what we do know is that, that we need to find the purpose for why we were created. 
We need to discover what that purpose means. And the interesting thing about Moses was is that, that he had to go through uh, some specific transitions in his life. And as you read the story of Moses in Exodus, you'll discover that about every 40 years, Moses goes through a transition in his life. And so every 40 years, he's kind of growing up, so to speak. Every 40 years, he comes to a greater disclosure with his relationship with God. And, and I'm really hoping that you and I get this a lot sooner than our 120th birthday, that, that we kind of understand or we understand this a little bit more greatly from there. So I wanna walk you through some of those transitions, some of those stages of Moses' life because I truly believe those are the same stages that we go through. And that first stage that we see Moses going through that you and I go through is that stage of what we're gonna call that stage of self-ascension. Self-ascension is where, where we live in a world that's about us. We live in a world that says that, that basically everything that I do, I'm gonna build upon for my own successes. I'm going to build my career. I'm going to build my family. I'm going to climb the corporate ladder, so to speak. And I'm gonna put all of those things into place. And it's here where Moses finds himself seeking his own thing. And we do that too, don't we? We go to school and we graduate from school and we say, okay, I have a choice to make. I can either pursue a, a a career at a vocational school, or I can go off to college. And if I go off to college, then I want other opportunities and things that are out there. And we begin to make uh, plans to further our education and knowledge. And after that, we take our first job. Do you remember your first job? I remember my first job, and it's an exciting time in our life. And we get to that point in our first job, and, and then all of a sudden, maybe we get married and we start having children. And, and you get kind of in that role, and life just keeps just kind of moving on. Are you with me? It's kind of like you're in, in a groove, you're in a gear, and life is starting to move on and all those things. And we become so busy pursuing the things of life that bring success that pursuing God is not our priority. This is that self-ascension. We place ourselves in this discovery process. And, and instead of asking God the questions in this stage, God, what is your will for my life? Basically what we're saying is, God, will you bless what I'm doing? God, will you just show your favor upon me as I'm climbing the corporate ladder, as I'm living my life in the greatest way that I think I know how to? We know that um, this stage is focused on the God bless me stage. When we were seniors in high school and my wife Patty discovered me, all of this, in a, in a, in a mall uh, sporting goods store, she went home after that first encounter and I just know it went like this. She, she disputes this story. But I, I just know it went like this. She got on her knees and she said, God, just bless me that I could start dating this wonderful hunky guy. <laughs> and God, now you notice, notice, Lord, I'm telling this story and she's not here. But uh, forgive me if she's live streaming. But, but, uh, but, you know, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. You know, maybe you've had that, that same kind of thing. God, bless me that I can get this promotion this promotion will just open the doors for me. God bless me that we can move into uh, this kind of style of our life. God bless me that I'm in, the, um, I'm in the express lane at Publix and please God bless me that the person in front of me does not have to dig through their change purse and find that penny so that, because I'm in a hurry, God bless me. And so everything is about climbing the ladder to the next step. And, and, and we talked about this last week because we saw in the life of Jacob, Jacob was a me first attitude. And we talked about how Jacob focused upon his own life. And it's that stage of life and it's climbing that ladder. And as we climb that ladder in this self ascension phase of our life as Moses was, 
the question becomes who or what is at the top of the ladder. And that's what we're pursuing. Even if we believe God is at the top of the ladder in the self-ascension stage, God is not our priority. We can be a believer, but God just isn't the priority. And other things are. A couple of things come and, and feed upon in this self-ascension stage. Things like appetite and approval and ambition. Appetite is, 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 is key. You know, I have to get ahead. Appetite drives the need to have a certain status. Appetite says I have to drive the right car. I need to live in the right neighborhood with the swinging gates. I need to do all of these kinds of things. Why? Because my, my heart is, has a hole in it. And my appetite says that if I can just fill that yearning of my heart with stuff, with the things of the world, then I know that I can move ahead. But here's something that I've discovered. Feeding on our appetites never gets us ahead, does it? It never gets us ahead because we're chasing after the wrong thing. And this is what happened back in 2008 in our country here in America. We began to pursue the things of the world. We began to pursue the things of status and stature. Americans were spending $1.22 for every dollar that they made. We were outspending what we were bringing in and our whole economy crashed. And we began to see the challenges of that. Why? Because we were feeding our appetites and we found ourselves wandering in the wilderness. But we know that Jesus met Satan in the wilderness, amen? Jesus found him there and the tempter came to him and said that if you are the son of God, then tell these stones to turn to bread. And we know that Jesus rebuked him at that particular point. Approval is the second phase of self-ascension. It's, it's, uh, it's that that need to be loved by somebody else. It's that need to be affirmed by somebody. Anybody in this room struggle with approval? We all in some respect struggle with approval. This is where we find ourselves hungering for the acceptance of someone else, the need to be part of the in crowd. And this is where our values get skewed and our temptations begin to bubble up. Do you remember this? Have you, have you heard the phrase, it's okay to do that? Everybody else is doing it. Have you heard that phrase? That's, that's the approval phase. And when we hear those words, our value system flips over and everything that we know to be true is challenged because that hunger inside of us in that self-ascension stage to be approved by somebody else begins to take its lead role as we live into the words, it's okay to do that. Everybody else does and it leads us astray. Now, you might think this is funny, but it's really not meant to be, but it is kind of funny. But when I was 12 years old, that happened, that happened to me. Now, what was the number one uh, weekly sitcom during the 1970s? Who remembers? It was Happy Days, right? And you remember the Fonz? Hey. You know, uh, here I was in sixth grade, and, 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 and it was an opportunity for me to, to experience a, a benign gang situation, not like gangs today, but, but I, was, I was kind of influenced by that. And to be a part of the in crowd, I had to change some of my values and the ways that I was gonna act and try to get in trouble in class a little bit more so that I could don the leather jacket. Well, it was probably more like pleather. But, but, you know, leather jacket, because I wanted to be seen as somebody to fit into the in crowd. And I had a choice to either do that or I could be like part of the Joe Cool crowd, okay? And that was the, the Levi denim jacket. Now, which one did I choose? I chose leather because I look pretty good in leather. But, but so, so I, I changed my values at 12 years of age. I changed my values so that I could fit in with the in crowd at that particular time. But there are other ways that this comes into play. 
Sometimes we, we, we change our values and we dabble in alcohol. We dabble in, in drugs. We dabble in kinds of things that are illicit behaviors that we see. And we just live into the words, well, everybody else is doing it. So if everybody's doing it, then I can do it. And it might be fine. And our identity becomes compromise. I know what it's like, and maybe you do too, to cave in at times in those temptuous moments where we succumb to behaviors that we normally would not succumb to because we wanna fit in. We want to be part of the in crowd. And looking back on those, I see how reckless in my early life some of the decisions that I made truly was. And I'm just so grateful by the grace of God that I didn't hurt myself in the exploration of some of those things. For Jesus, the devil took him to the holy city and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said these words, if you are the son of God, command these angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil is tempting Jesus in a sense of trying to say he needs approval. So we have appetite, we have approval. The third component of that self-ascension stage is ambition. So we have appetite, we have approval, and we have ambition. And this is where the ladder climbing comes. You know, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this, the devil said, I am going to give to you if you will bow down and worship me. Ambition, we call the ambition as the, the God bless me stage. Even as a believer, it isn't about God that draws us in, but it's about our self-serving nature. We rationalize in our minds that eventually we're going to get to the point where we will walk with God, but it's just gonna take some time because we're just enjoying what life is right now on our own. And we put that off. Jesus described this stage as one who throws a big party. And obviously this is God. God's throwing a big party as we learn in Luke 14. Uh, we're all invited to this party that God throws, but yet something happens and we're just not wanting to attend. And Luke writes this, but they all alike began to make excuses. So they've been invited to this party by God to come and receive God's grace, but they couldn't because they just made excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try, to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married and I can't attend this either. We rationalize with validity in our minds these valid excuses that keeps us away from living into the call and the passion that God has called us to do. And the things that God wants us to be, we put them on hold because we're too busy pursuing these things. The second piece is when disillusionment is initiated by crisis. So there's self-ascension, and then all of a sudden disillusionment comes in because of some crisis that we have in our life. And when that crisis comes, it begins to change in this next 40-year cycle that we see in the life of Moses. Now, there's a story that Moses was uh, walking through the airport. And as he's walking through the airport, former President George W. Bush sees him. And the president looks beyond and says to his secret service, that looks like Moses. And he shouts out, Moses, Moses. But Moses doesn't turn around. He just keeps walking. In fact, he starts walking a little bit faster. 
And the president says, isn't that Moses, the one with the long beard, the long white hair, the one with the robes? That's Moses, isn't it? And the agent says, Mr. President, it sure looks like Moses. So they start going a little bit faster and Bush calls out, Moses, Moses. Moses turns around and quickly starts speeding up a little bit more. And finally, the president catches Moses. He says, Moses, I knew it was you. Why didn't you stop when I was shouting out to you? And Moses stopped and looked at the president and he said, Mr. Bush, the last time I talked to a bush, I wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. <laughs> so we see, we see the disillusionment that comes. The disillusionment that comes and the crisis there. Some midlife crises aren't fun at all, are they? If you've ever had a midlife crisis, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you want, want to get married and you get married and you think, well, if I just get married and I find that perfect person to share the rest of my life and I love them and they honor me and I honor them and then we'll just spend the whole life together and if I just focus all of my life in that one person, that love of my life, then everything will be fine. Then all of a sudden, you know, about 10 or so years into the marriage, things get a little stale, they get a little old. You start taking advantage of each other and you don't really love each other like you used to if you're not careful. Marriages are hard work. And then all of a sudden, uh, divorce might come into play or, or even worse, maybe an extramarital affair happens. And we begin to see these midlife crises that come. And the flip side is that, that you can be as happy as all get out with your loved one, but your loved one can never fill your heart like God can. You can have all the compassion and passion and love for the one that you, that you love deeply, that you're married to, that you care about, but as much love as you pour into them, they can never fill your heart like the love of Jesus Christ. For some, this stage comes in, in loss of employment. It comes in a long-term illness. Everything you build up for life, I'm gonna save up for the golden years and the golden years come. And instead of it being golden, it, it's, it's become more tarnished. And you begin to see that it isn't as good as it used to be. And we learn from Moses' life about character flaws. They come into place. And Moses had his share of character flaws. You and I, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we have character flaws. And the people that we live with know exactly what those are. And we can put on a front to anybody else around us, our friends, our church people, our businesses and all that. But the people who live with us, the people who know us, they know we can be buttheads at times, can't they? They really do know that. And that we can compromise who we are and we can talk down to them. But it's in those moments that they know exactly who we are. And it's in that that we realize that we cannot hide our stuff. We can't. And Moses couldn't do that either. Moses had anger issues. He was the prince of Egypt, born of Hebrew descent. And Pharaoh had issued a decree that all male children of Hebrew descent were to be killed because they were populating too quickly. And the time was coming that Pharaoh believed that they would be overthrown by the Hebrews, that there would be more Hebrew population than Egyptians. So Pharaoh issued this decree and Moses' Hebrew mother takes him and places him in a basket and she sends him down the river and Moses is discovered by Pharaoh's sister. And it's at that moment that uh, he begins to see, or excuse me, Pharaoh's daughter, and he begins to see some, some significant things happening in his life. And Moses' descent or ascent comes from being Hebrew slave to the prince of Egypt. 
But somewhere in the back of Moses' mind, he knew, somewhere he knew about his relationship to the Hebrews. Somewhere he was aware of his heritage. And as he is out conducting a, a, a building project, one of his Egyptian workers goes and begins to beat horribly and to, to torture a Hebrew slave. And Moses' anger lashes out. And Moses kills his Egyptian co-worker. And Pharaoh learns about this. And Pharaoh says that this is an impardonable sin, that because you have committed murder, you can no longer be the prince of Egypt. And he casts Moses out. And he tells Moses that he must become a sheep herder, that he must go out into the wilderness, so to speak, and, and, and be at a point of his own life. And that's phase two. When life is so complicated and things start happening that we begin to cry out, God, help me. Disillusionment comes. Crisis looms. God, help me. And it's at this point that we begin to move into the third stage of what we see in Moses' life. And that stage is where we intentionally change focus of our life's priorities. Where, as it says in Scripture, we turn and see God. We intentionally change our life's priorities. Are you getting this? We turn and we see God. Exodus 3, 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within the bush, and Moses saw that through the bush that it was on fire, but it did not burn up. We need to really capture these words. Moses saw the bush on fire, but it never burnt up. And what that means is when we discover our life's purpose, it's a bush that will never, ever extinguish from our heart. When we are in God's purpose, we will never be out of that. We will never forget it. We will know, and the passion will burn. We read about people who burn out in their jobs. We, we read about people who burn out in their marriages, burn out in their lives. They are not walking in the will of God. But when we walk in the will of God, that burnout will not happen because we are one with God at that particular point and we are living God's call in our life. Verse three, it says, I will go over and see this strange sight. In Hebrew, it means I'm gonna move away from the life I'm currently living and I'm going to change directions and I'm going to choose to walk with God in a new priority. So when Moses says, I've got to go see what this is, and he moves, he is basically saying, I'm going to change my life, and I'm choosing a new priority in which to live. And this is the third phase of what we see this morning. This is when you enter this and you discover, wow, now I really know why God created me. Now I know my life has a purpose. I know that I'm standing on holy ground. I know that my life is not meant to be self-centered or self-purposeful. It's not about me. And we live into Jesus' words where we hear those words that we must lose our life in order to gain it. That, that we see that John the Baptist said, in order for Christ to increase, I must what? Decrease. And the significance that comes. The burning bush moment is where we hear God speak. And it's here that we discover our purpose. The angel that is mentioned in verse 2 translates into the word Hebrew word of messenger. And sometimes we also understand that God can send messengers into our life, amen? We see all throughout scripture where God sends people, ordinary people, 
into our lives to share with us a good word, to share with us a word to get us back on track, to share with us the passion of what life is to hold. And my guess is you've had somebody in your life, haven't you? You've had somebody whom God has sent to you to speak a word of favor, and that favor was to reconnect you. God speaks to us, but we have to be willing to stop, turn, and look. Say that with me, stop, turn, and look. We've got to get away from focusing on our own things, but we've got to stop, turn, and look. We hear that through this inner voice, this inner voice of God that speaks in us. Folks, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks in all of us, and that burning bush is activated whenever we hear that Spirit's voice and we act upon it. Moses heard God speak, and Moses chose to turn and draw to the burning bush. And we move away from the God bless me phase to the God let me do your will phase. And we move into that, and that's what happened to Moses. He finally came to the place on his journey where he left his own self-needs and his self-ascension phase. He had the crisis of his faith that came, and he began to turn aside and look and listen to speak and to hear what God said. So this morning, you and I are challenged with that. We are challenged with the question, what's going on with us? How are you experiencing God's voice in you? God is speaking at this very moment. He is talking into your life. He has been speaking to you since the, before your creation, before you were in your mother's womb, the scripture says. God knew you, and he calls you by name. If you're at a place where you're not sure that you can hear God speak, then let me encourage you to move forward, to quit being about self and God bless me, and to take that risky step to step forward in your life and make God's priorities be your priorities. Make God's desires become your desires. Make your life's mission become God's purpose and know that when you do that, you will be connected with God in a powerful way and you will accomplish the very reason why you were created in the first place. You see, God's not interested in investing in our self-interests. The purpose for which we were created was to be a part of God's redemptive work in the world. So Moses stretched. Moses stretched really hard. Moses gave up so much in his life that he could be what God created him to be. And the question is, will you?